Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Today we've got a great story of revenge against an awful car customer. We'll get to that in a bit, but first, I planted bamboo that overrun my neighbor's property over a security light. About four years ago, I used to live in a nice HOA in a small town in Texas and enjoyed having only one neighbor over my backyard fence. The plot was about two acres and the other side of the backyard butted up to a hayfield. The stars were beautiful at night because of virtually no light pollution until the neighbor decided to install an incredibly bright security light over their back porch aimed right at my back patio and bedroom windows. I tried to ignore it at first and put shades in the bedroom, but out on the patio, it was like having a bright LED headlight in your face all night. I consulted the HOA about adding a privacy addition to my fence to increase its height, and they said no because it's already at the 8 foot max allowed height. They said there was nothing in the bylaws or whatever about bright lights, so nothing they could do. Diplomacy. So I hated for this to be a thing where we finally had a formal greeting after three years of back porch waves, but I walked over and rang the doorbell with $20. I politely explained how the light was causing the aforementioned nuisance and asked if there was a way I could convince him to point the light down or in a different direction, and even offered to buy him a case of beer, the $20, out of goodwill and even a new motion-sensing light. He seemed nice and agreed to point it down, but after waiting a month, nothing changed. I went back to have another polite conversation, and he said he had changed his mind and was going to leave it on every night and leave it pointed as his. Petty revenge? Needless to say, I was a bit upset diplomacy failed and started figuring out how to win. If the military taught me anything, there's always ways to adapt and overcome. So I started researching fast-growing plants to create big privacy walls and reading through the HOA bylaws and city and state ordinances about what I could or couldn't plant, and if there were any repercussions for encroachment across the property line. I quickly discovered running bamboo, despite being very invasive, would grow super fast to make the neighbor's house and light disappear from view and there was nothing on the HOA or state or city books to prevent me from planting it or cause legal recourse if it spread and grew on his side of the fence. Only thing he could do was cut anything that grew on his side of the line. So I pulled the trigger and planted a bunch of golden bamboo, which grows and spreads crazy fast in Texas and grows up to 20 feet tall. I didn't care if it took over the fence line because his house is 15 feet from the fence while mine was 50 yards away. So I planted a bunch right against the fence and only put the root barrier on my side to prevent it spreading into my yard. Within six months, his house and light were gone from view, replaced by a pretty bamboo jungle row at the edge of my yard. Within one year, he complained it was growing into his yard via mailed letters. They went right into the trash with no response. He rang my doorbell once and I looked at him through the window but just didn't answer the door. I unexpectedly sold the house and moved two years after planting for a career opportunity. It's been two years since I sold and I just checked the property on Google Earth and his entire backyard is bamboo, 
Growing up, my family lived next to neighbors that were kind of like this. They were rude, they were opinionated, they did what they wanted, and they thought it was their onus to try to take leadership of our mini community that we were living in at the time. It was kind of rural. And the weirdest thing is they have a staunch opinion that they want to maintain that the roads remain dirt. We had a neighbor who was willing to pay to have the road properly paved and the neighbor blew such a fit over it they basically stood out there at the side of the road where their property line started and said you will not pave past this point that was a long time ago thankfully i don't have to deal with that neighbor anymore also hi i'm steven and if you enjoy awesome stories of revenge why not hit those like and subscribe buttons down below that said our next story is a cruel teacher meets a patient motivated and relentless mom I went to first grade in the early 80s at a small school that was affiliated with the church we attended. The one my parents were married in, this is relevant. This was in a smallish city in the Pacific Northwest. Kindergarten was delightful and I loved my teacher, who was kind and loving to all the kids. First grade, however, was a nightmare. Teacher, we'll call Mrs. Hagner, was probably a late 20s scarecrow of a woman and was one of the cruelest human beings I ever met. I was just a happy-go-lucky little kid, and my best pal was a sweet girl whose parents were friends with my parents. We were just excited to go to big kid's school. Mrs. Agner, for some reason, I couldn't figure out, never warmed to us. She was super sweet to the other kids, but was always curt and very quickly cruel to the two of us. Some memories that stick out to me, she started to refer to us as the bad kids to the other kids in class. I know that I was well behaved, even more so than the other kids, but it didn't matter. By mid-year, the other kids knew us as bad and would happily make up all kinds of bad behaviors to report to her that we swore, used the Lord's name in vain, stole things, etc. Nothing of the sort ever happened. I was terrified of her and at that point barely spoke at all because her responses were always cruel. She lavished them with hugs and praise for this, so it of course got worse. Every day at playtime, she would instruct the class that we were not allowed to play because we were bad kids. We were always forced to stand outside of the group without speaking. The son of the principal was her favorite. She deputized him as the good kid who would speak for me if I needed to go to the bathroom, etc. It was endless. One particularly cruel memory was when she put me in a garbage can and made me stand there as she directed the class to put their lunch garbage in it. Punishment for fidgeting in chapel. I remember always sitting as still as my little body would allow, but I probably scratched my nose or something. I was six. I remember crying as I stood there, my feet soaked in milk, applesauce, juice. When my mom asked about my shoes being ruined, I told the truth, and Mrs. Hagner lied, said I climbed into the garbage. My little friend was once called white trash by Mrs. Hagner when she asked to go potty, and cried as she ended up wetting her pants. I remember this vividly. Most days, I was forbidden to speak, move, or ask for anything. To do so would incur verbal abuse and more punishment. The other kids were forbidden to speak to me or even acknowledge that I was there. I didn't understand it. I was just a little guy, and I wanted so badly for my teacher to like me. Man, was only a six-year-old kid. I don't know why she loved all the other kids, but was always cruel to me. I started to cry after school and became withdrawn. 
Shoot, 10 years later, a kid in that class said to me when we were in high school that he remembered how I was the bad kid and all the punishment I got daily but couldn't remember what I ever did. After speaking with their friends, whose daughter was my friend, and comparing notes, my parents put two and two together and finally realized what we were enduring and enrolled me in public school where I thrived. My dad, who didn't understand or didn't want controversy in his church, he later angrily regretted this and wished he had done more, thought that was the end of it. Mom had other plans. At the time, my mom was still learning English, but she knew something was terribly wrong. Wrong with the school, wrong with Mrs. Hagner. When my parents were married, a group of women in the church objected to the pastor marrying them because she was Mexican and my dad was white. Yep, it was that kind of church in that kind of town. The pastor told them to pound sand. Mrs. Hagner was one of those ladies. My little friend's parents were fine people, working poor but I think were seen as from the wrong side of the tracks and weren't really seen as the right type. This is what my mom recalled. So within three years, my mom perfected her English and got a degree in education, all while raising us and working her butt off. She got a job as a teacher, then she got her master's degree. She taught in my school district for 30 years. She was a beloved, respected, and effective educator. Once, a few years ago, I mentioned that school and that it had shuttered a few years after I left. I also said I remembered how mean Mrs. Hagner was. My mother, the kindest, sweetest, most loving little lady in the world, looked at me and calmly told me this. That woman was evil. What she did to you and that little girl was wrong. When that woman tried to apply to the public schools, I told them what she did to you. For years. Every time. Every year. For 25 years, I stopped every administration in every school from hiring her. She hurt little kids. She hurt you. Why? You were just a little boy. My friend was just a little girl. You don't do that to any little kid. So I freaking ruined her. To my knowledge, Mrs. Hagner never saw the inside of a classroom as a teacher again. My sweet little mother, now the most loving, retired grandma in the world to my kids, spent almost three decades, coldly, relentlessly, and with great patience, wrecking any chance that monster had to ever teach again. Mom, you are a treasure. That was great revenge from the mom. I imagine in any situation, if Mrs. Hagner ever wanted to teach again, they'd probably have to commute 45 minutes an hour out of their way to go to some other school, or find like the dumpiest, lowest funded school somewhere that just needs teachers because they literally can't keep any in the building. This reminds me of my second grade teacher. I don't think she ever necessarily targeted me specifically, but it never felt like she really liked me. But for our whole class, we went to recess maybe twice, three times tops the entire year. This is a second grade class full of six and seven year old kids. Our next story is, please shut up. Back in the 90s and early 2000s, I worked in a small nonprofit, very small, 10 staff people. We had three programs and I ran one, call it program A, for which I was the sole staff person. Program B had a program director and three other staff members, and Program C had two staff members. We moved from our old offices, an old house, to a commercial space on the main drag, and went from everyone having their own office space to cubicles and desks in the open. The layout of the office area is relevant. The only single office was for the program director for Program B, let's call her Mindy. 
The executive director, the finance director, and the admin person were all in open areas. I was surrounded by Program B staff with Program C on the far side. Program C folks were mostly out in the field, so not around a lot. The reason that Mindy had the only office was that she and her Program B staff regularly needed to meet one-on-one with clients and needed the privacy. However, she never allowed her staff to use her office, so they would meet with their clients in the conference area, which was fine because nobody could really overhear. So she got the only private office, but hardly ever met with clients there. Also less relevant, but very annoying, was the fact that Mindy thought her program and her clients were better than our other clients and programs. This was an elitist view, as her clients were slightly higher income than ours, programs A and C, and she felt they were more deserving poor than our clients. The problem was that Program B staff were all loud. They were on the phone constantly and would use their speakerphone for conversations so that they could look at paperwork or computers while talking to clients. They would also yell to each other across the cubicles, popping up like groundhogs to scream questions or comments at each other. And not always work-related, sometimes just personal conversations. Mindy was not impacted as she had her office door closed all the time. Program C staff were not impacted as they were mostly out, and finance and admin folks were annoyed but not in the middle of it all so not as impacted. The executive director admitted that he liked overhearing everything that was going on. Shortly after the move, I asked Program B staff to just go to each other's cubes to have conversations and to stop using the speaker phones. They would stop for an hour or so and then it would all start up again. I went to Mindy and asked her to tell her staff to stop as I couldn't have a phone conversation or concentrate on any work with all of the yelling going on. She did nothing. I brought it up at staff meeting. The executive director agreed they should be more conscious but really did nothing. So after months of nothing being solved, I would stand up in my cubicle and yell, shut the freak up, several times a day. This annoyed everybody, including the executive director. So he moved me into the private office and had Mindy sit among her loud staff. See, I really don't even understand how Mindy survived that long having the only private office when it seems like they didn't even really utilize it. Like they probably went back there just to like take a nap or something. I will maintain though, if you ever work in any job where you can just stand up and yell, shut the freak up, and it only leads to you getting better perks, such as getting your own private office? Sounds like a pretty good place to work. Our next story is, I got fired for being sick and in the hospital, so I got back at my former boss. I worked as a gymnastics coach, I just started working there for a month or two, and in a month, I started getting really dizzy, regularly outside of work, and I would lose my balance. Best way to describe it is as my brain's lagging, I'd look one way and it would take forever for my eyes to adjust looking that way. And I left 30 minutes early once because I couldn't stand. And if I coached, I didn't want to pass out or misspot them and then something goes wrong. Then the next time this happened, I asked my boss to cover for me real quick to go to the bathroom. I went to the bathroom and threw up and left, then went to the hospital. I never throw up and the dizzy was bad. While I was in the ER, my boss fired me. Didn't say, hope you feel better or anything, just fired me. So I told people that I know there, and the people I'm close with who go there, I told them what happened, and they were appalled at why they f- 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Storytime is sponsored by BetterHelp. Nearly everyone at some point in their life will struggle with their mental health, whether that's something stressful at work, in a personal relationship, or something else. I know that I really struggled with anxiety in my early 20s, and therapy was a massive help for me. That's why I'm a massive fan of therapy, and today's sponsor, BetterHelp. If there is anything in your life, big or small, that is negatively affecting you, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. It's an online therapy service that, after finishing a small questionnaire, will match you with a licensed therapist, where you can book appointments that match up with your schedule at any place or any time. And if you feel like you're not bonding with your therapist, you can switch at any point for free. Also, therapy isn't just if you're struggling with mental health. If you're looking for guidance or ways to improve your social skills, life, or relationships, it's a great judgment-free way of doing that. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com StorytimePod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash StorytimePod. Fired me? So they left and quit going there or sending their child there. Quite a joy to watch her place fall apart. Isn't that in most places like a not very legal reason to fire somebody? I guess I don't know how it necessarily applies in an at-will state where I guess they can fire you for any old reason. But like firing you over a medical situation? I mean, I guess it's a little extra to go there, but doesn't it open like some legal avenues? Our next story is, I was as nice to her as she was to me. My stepmother is the queen of southern, bless your heart style, backhanded kindness. She is petite with a cute little southern accent and everything she says is so sweet, if you take it at face value. My sister and I have tried to talk to our father about how mean she can be, but he says we're reading into it too much. A couple weeks ago, my husband and I hosted Passover with 11 adults and two kids. Passover is already a point of contention because she's repeatedly not so subtly excluded my husband, who isn't Jewish. She arrived an hour early, without notice, with two of my stepbrothers with intellectual disabilities to help. And she brought a gift, a wine glass that she made a point of indicating is decorated to be for the woman of the house. For context, by tradition, different family members bless certain things on the Sabbath and holidays, and the husband blesses the wine. She and my father recently moved into a new house, and their open house was last week. She forwarded me the invite she sent to her family a week earlier. It opened with a checklist, starting with stepmom and dad move in, followed by all the great things in her children's lives. And she suggested my husband and I come in between her family in the morning and her friends in the afternoon, so we wouldn't feel overwhelmed. So my husband and I went, with our dogs. No, we didn't tell her in advance, we just assumed she'd be fine with it, because she always says she loves them so much. We enter the house, and her grandchildren shout, Doggy! and start rubbing bellies. 
She tried to suggest we leave them in her son's house across the street, since it would be much easier on us. I kindly thanked her, but insisted it was no trouble at all. Then we gladly followed my father on a tour of the house, taking plenty of time in each and every room. She watched as her nice new house that all her friends were coming to see ended up smelling like dogs, and she had to smile the whole time. ETA, I have many problems with how my stepmother treated my husband and me, but her bringing my stepbrothers was absolutely not one of them. I invited them. I only mentioned their ID because, while I absolutely adore them, they were not going to be helpful, as my stepmother obviously knew. See, isn't the point of open house to be an open house, not like a window? If you're hosting an open house, doesn't that literally mean just show up during normal-ish hours and you should be able to accommodate or see the house? Our next story is bullied by a teacher in 8th grade. So I got bullied by a teacher as a kid, specifically my 8th grade English teacher. She was a whale of a woman who thought drinking a Diet Coke while eating two candy bars every class was going to help her with weight. She was super critical of everything I did and refused to stop the other students bullying me. Instead, she would join in and bully me about my clothes or the fact that I would make a mistake here and there on my homework. She was super critical about my tiny mistakes, despite my great grades. When I mentioned to a friend that I wanted to be an author, she overheard me and told me that I would never be an author and that I was a failure, and that's all I would ever be. Fast forward to 2015, I self-published a book and went to the school to give a copy to one of my favorite history teachers. The English teacher was in the office when I handed over my book and her jaw dropped. My husband was with me and noticed my mischievous grin. When he asked me about it, I mentioned that was my English teacher. So my history teacher, oblivious to the bad blood between us, starts gushing about how she must be so proud that one of her former students was an author. I was also showing off my wedding ring to the office ladies who knew me from my time in the school. It was a nice white gold set with 17 diamonds. Not only was I happily married, I'd proven that witch wrong and returned with the proof. I didn't think she would be there, but I suppose I just got lucky. She's never been married, most likely due to her astounding personality and record-breaking quadruple chins. I honestly don't care about a person's weight, but when they're ugly inside, and it shows on the outside, I point it out. I'm pretty heavy myself, so I know how bad fat shaming can be. Anyway, I'm so happy that I got to see her face when she was proven wrong, topped with all the people who adored me in middle school, gushing, while she could do nothing or risk her image with the rest of the staff. She escaped as soon as the bell rang, and I got to spend time with the people who helped me during a rough time in my childhood. I've always kind of envied people who had such good connections with some teachers or even just the faculty there that all those years later, they're kind of welcomed with open arms back to that place just to catch up about old times. I just never really connected with any teachers or faculty like that when I was growing up. Our next story is year-long parking revenge. A very long time ago during college, I lived at an apartment complex for a year that was within walking distance of the campus. When I moved out, they stole my security deposit. They made tenants pay for a parking pass to hang inside of cars. The thing is, this tag was designed in such a way that you can't tell if it was expired from the outside of a vehicle. Since there were always spots open, there was little chance that anyone would notice as long as you have a tag. I parked at the complex for free for another year on an expired pass. 
the walking may have been a little annoying, but it did save me from buying an expensive yearly on-campus parking tag that costs more than the security deposit. It sucks when a university has huge parking lots that stays empty all the time, but they still want to charge students theme park prices just to park. Honestly, considering they have so much open space, you think that they would actually be a little bit more strict about it? How would they go and design a parking pass that you can't even verify from the outside of the car? How dumb can they be? I guess dumb enough to charge theme park prices and not be able to fill their parking lot up. Our next story is, refuse to teach? I'll make you rewrite your whole class. So back in college, I was getting a degree in journalism and I only had a few classes left. One of the classes was mass comm, which was taught primarily by a professor I cordially detested. Let's call her Jen. Jen was a longtime media professional who believed that the best way to teach was to tell us anecdotes about her experiences in radio. The problem being that she did this at the expense of teaching the material and then tested us on the material. So she would spend three hours a week bragging, then expect us to study the material on our own, asking her about the material led to tangents about her professional life, and if you could catch her in office hours, she would do the same. So with no choice but to take yet another class with her, I signed up for MassCom and settled in. Now there immediately was a problem. There was no book for this course. There was no handouts. It was just Jen and PowerPoint. The format of the class was Jen would click next slide, tell us a story about her life, and if we were really lucky, she'd read the slide and the story would correlate to what was on the slide. Now, there was only two graded assignments, the midterm essay and the final exam. Now, I can write a thousand words about anything, so the midterm didn't concern me, but the final was going to be a test over the slides she was so glibly glossing over. About a week before the final, she tells us the rules. We can have one sheet of notes and she'll allow anyone who asks a copy of her PowerPoint to study. My dad had told me a story once of a student gaming an open notes test and I had nothing to lose, so I raised my hand. Can the notes be front and back? Jen says that's fine. I say, do they have to be our own notes? No, Jen says, we can get together, swap notes, all that jazz. Handwritten or typed? Well, now she's getting annoyed and says either is fine. Going for broke, I have one last question. Are there any formatting restriction? No, she says, and then I thank her and let her get back to bragging. Naturally, I asked her for her PowerPoint, went home, and spent three hours copy and pasting every single slide's worth of text onto a five-column, four-point font, single sheet of paper, front and back. These are God's own notes, the be-all, end-all, the entire semester's worth of class material, all on one page. Then I printed 30 copies and gave one to everyone. The class tested half one week, half the next. After the test, Jen came back and held up the exams and said, Whose notes are these? I raised my hand. And you just thought you'd share with 30 of your best friends? I said, well, you did say that we didn't have to use our own notes. For the first time in years, according to other professors I was friends with, Jen's mass comm class had a 100% pass rate. But the story doesn't end there. Next semester, an acquaintance, let's call her Laura, approaches me and asked if I still had the God notes. I said yes and sent them to her. Now, Jen had gotten wise to this and restricted notes to a pair of index cards. Laura, the absolute mad woman, managed to fit the God notes on two index cards. For the second time in as many semesters, 
there was a 100% passing rate. The next semester, I'm approached by a girl named Ellen who came up to me and asked about the God notes. I emailed them to her on the spot. I kept them on Google Drive and asked her about the restrictions on the notes this semester. Turns out Janet said they had to be handwritten, but we were back to a standard sheet of printer paper. Ellen assured me this would be no issue. Three days later, she comes in and shows me that she can apparently handwrite in four-point font, and apparently scanning and duplicating them was allowed as long as they were handwritten, 100% pass rate. The next semester, Jen ordered textbooks and rewrote the curriculum. And in the last two classes I had with her, she was very careful to stick to the material. And as far as I know, she never gave out her PowerPoints as a study guide again. I love that OP essentially bullied this teacher into actually teaching. I mean, it took a few years, but you got there. Our next story is, we've decided we can't meet your expectations and wouldn't want you to be disappointed in your vehicle. Therefore, we have decided to refund your money. Back when F-150 Raptors were hot and hard to get, I was selling a car at our dealership. We were one of the few dealerships not playing any games on the Raptors. The deal was MSRP minus any rebates you qualify for, plus our $299 dealer fee and tax title and license, which was super reasonable. Then came Tom. Tom was a royal pain in the butt from the start. First off, he thought he was going to haggle, and it got so bad that I straight up told him, here is your deal. If you like it, let my manager over there know and we'll take a deposit and order the vehicle. But I have other customers to attend to. Then I got up and left to meet my appointment. Tom was scheduled for noon and it was now 3pm a full 3 hours later. While Tom sat at my desk for a solid 15-20 to 20 minutes, I saw him get up and walk over to my manager's office. My manager ended up taking his deposit, explaining the process and sending him off. FYI, out of the 1,000 plus customers I've sold, there was only one customer that I did that to, and it was Tom. Tom was special. It got worse. Here's the things Tom did. Tom forged a dealer offer sheet from a competing dealer, trying to get us to give him a $3,000 discount. Tom called our auto group HQ several times to complain. Tom called Ford HQ several times to complain. Tom was repeatedly caught in lies. His lies would normally be Bambi manager said or Bambi said when we didn't. A few weeks before his vehicle was due, he sent out a massive email that included our customer support representatives, myself, my manager, my GM, basically listing his demands and being incredibly unreasonable. A few hours before that email, a customer inquired about an F-150 Raptor, but unfortunately the order banks had closed and we had none in stock. We never had any in stock, but this new customer seemed super nice. So I went to my GM and said, let's sell this Raptor to this new guy who seems super chill and nice and can easily afford it, and let's refund this jerk his money and tell him we can't do business with him. My GM agreed, so my GM told me to write up the email and CC certain individuals. I wrote up the email, Dear Tom, after careful consideration of your last email and your past experience, we've decided we can't meet your expectations and wouldn't want you to be disappointed in your vehicle. Therefore, we have decided to refund your money. We have instructed our accounting department to cut a check and overnight it to the address on file. You will be receiving a refund in full. We hope you can find a dealership that can match your expectations. We wish you all the best. Then I called up my customer from earlier and said, 
Hey man, we got a new Raptor that just became available. I can send you the Windows sticker and it's yours for MSRP plus the $299 dealer fee plus tax title and license. I sent over the Windows sticker. After I did that, Tom called me furious, telling us that he was going to sue us. I passed the call to my GM, who gave him our law firm's phone number and told him his lawyer could talk to our lawyer and asked Tom not to call back again. Then the new customer from that morning called me back and said he was on the way to meet me to place a deposit and start on the paperwork. Can anybody else agree with the concept of, even if a customer is paying you and you could use that money, if it is such a bother and such a chore to work with that person, that it's better to just refund them and cut them off rather than take their money and put up with it? I love that OP was able to do that here. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now if you want to hear another awesome revenge story, check out that video on the left. Or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.